and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. So I'd like to introduce you all to our guest on the Path 11 podcast today. We are going to be speaking with Ellen Grace O'Brien, and she is the author of the book that I had the chance to read called The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. She is a yogacharya, which means an esteemed yoga teacher, a radio host, and an award-winning poet who weaves poetry into her teachings on spiritual matters, pointing to the mystical experience beyond words and thought. Ordained by a direct disciple of Paramahansa, Yogananda, she has been teaching Kriya Yoga philosophy and practice nationally and internationally for over three decades. Ellen, welcome. Thanks so much, April. It's a joy to connect with you. Yeah, same here. And there were so many small like synchronicities throughout your book that I'm kind of excited um, to talk to you about. And I learned a lot of things as well. Um, but before we get into the book, I would like you to give our audience just a small overview of your background um, so you can kind of bring us up to speed to how this book came to be. Oh, thanks. That's a great question, and I'll try to keep that brief. Um, so I I met my uh, spiritual teacher, Roy Eugene Davis, in 1979, and he's a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda. And um, so I was introduced to this path of yoga, and its philosophy and its practice, which is really focused on... Um, super conscious meditation, you know, as a way to wake up and a way to um, live a spiritually conscious, healthy life. So it's a very practical path. And when I found that path very early on, I thought, oh, this works. And I just dove right in. And I've really been following that teaching ever since. And um, so it just was a natural out uh, picturing of that. Um, meeting and that um, transformation of my own life through practicing Kriya Yoga that led to me uh, that led me to share it with others which I've been doing you know for more than three decades now. Wonderful. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the beginning of your book, uh, you were talking a little bit about how there actually is an instruction manual to life. <laughs> and I know that you were saying, like, many people ask about that, like, where's the instruction manual to get through this life? And you said, you know, through these yoga teachings, there actually is one. Um, so I'd like to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's great. Um, I found the teachings of yoga, although, of course, there's a, <clears throat> a deep mystical nature to them because they're about, <clears throat> excuse me, the ability to experience um, directly the truth um, of what we are as spiritual beings. So there's that depth dimension, um, but then there's also a full range of how to live teachings, you know, that are very practical. Um, 
is, you know, how to be awake in the world kinds of um, advice. So that's what I meant by this this um, manual for <laughs> this life manual. So it's not just um, the the deep end, which is what we all need, which is how to wake up and live uh, as the spiritual beings we are, but then also how to live in the world. Um, so uh, that's what I love about yoga. I mean, it's very core means oneness. And so it teaches us, you know, how to live um, in the world, how to prosper, how to thrive, how to find happiness, um, how to be um, loving in relationships, you know, all that is there. And one of the synchronistic lines in the book here that you wrote in the beginning is a question that I tend to ask a lot of people, a lot of my clients when they come in and they're just kind of feeling disconnected. And I hear them say, I don't really know who I am anymore. And but the first question I usually go back to ask them, which is in your book is, well, can you tell me what you wanted to be when you were a little child and somebody asked you the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. And I remember one of my teachers uh, in, I don't, I don't remember where it was, but they had said that, that if you ever have to be reminded of what your purpose is or what you really knew you wanted to be in the world or give your gifts in the world, go back to that question. What did you used to tell people when you were a little kid when they asked you, what did you want? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I just, I just stopped for a second. I was like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I have asked people that question so many times. And I feel like that there really is a true knowing when we are, you know, much younger and we come into the physical body that we know what the gifts are and that we're able to answer that question. So usually so quickly and easily without a thought, but yet we tend to forget that, or maybe, you know, fall asleep, you might say, as we kind of come into being adults and, and lose that, whether it's out of fear or we're driven by money, you know, I'm not going to actually do what I want to do, but this job pays, you know, the bills. And we're going to go into talking about prosperity too here. Um, cause that's a big portion of your book, but, um, I'd like you to just connect the dots there and why why you also put that in your in your book with people having to answer that question. Yeah, I I too have found the same thing that that you have, you know, as people um, in their adult life, you know, um, asking that very important question, you know, what is my purpose in life? I don't know how to find my purpose. And, um, you know, so they start sort of looking outwardly, like, what am I supposed to do? You know, and they're equating um, in, in the yoga tradition, what we call dharma, uh, to live a life of higher purpose with a vocation, you know, something I should do. So I, I find, um, you know, as you have, you know, one of the most powerful things we can do is look back in a, and to reflect on, in a sense, who we have always been, and in some ways to you know disconnect that with what we think we should do, um, because I think in the deepest way, our dharma, our 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 living with higher purpose is the way in which we express the divine qualities that have always. Um, 
been within us and perhaps we're seeing, you know, early on, um, you know, when you, there's certain, when you look at the uh, children, you know, you can see there's certain qualities that are quite apparent um, and they're different, you know, um, different in different children, you know, maybe one is um, really tender hearted and compassionate and is, is always rescuing little animals and you know, maybe another is very creative and dramatic and, you know, another likes to uh, draw or write. Another is a natural leader and is always forming groups and, you know, being at the head. And so um, it's true that they may, you know, at some point seek a vocation that um, is consistent with those qualities. But I think the first step is to look at the divine qualities themselves, um, whether it's wisdom or compassion or creativity. And then um, vocation, you know, what we're going to do um, is just the natural expression of of who we are, you know, those soul qualities that are um, expressing through us. Yeah. And before we get into a little bit more about, um, you know, how to connect prosperity through the ancient wisdom of yoga, I was wondering if you could also just educate our listeners a little bit too on the four universal goals that you goals of life that you write about, um, because then that might tie in very nicely to uh, the rest of the conversation that we'll have throughout the podcast. Oh, yeah, thank you so much. Um, in the in the Vedas, there is um, a system for living a spiritually awakened, joyful, happy, productive life. And this is offered as what is called the Purusharthas, or the four aims of life. And they're universal. They're for everyone at all time, no matter where you're from, no matter what your spiritual path is. Um, and these goals are uh, one, one is called dharma, and that is to live with higher purpose. And, and this has to do with really learning how to um, wake up and know yourself as a spiritual being and realize how you cooperate with the infinite. And um, that's what I was speaking about a moment ago, you know, connecting the truth of who you are to being in harmony um, with life itself, that's a capital L, and then fulfilling your purpose, your individual purpose. The second goal is the one that I write about in my book that is called Arta, and that goal is wealth, and that means we're here to prosper and um, to be able to gather the resources and do what we need to do to fulfill our uh, divine destiny, you know, in this lifetime. Third goal is comma or pleasure, which is so refreshing to know that of the four goals, you know, that we, we find wealth and we find pleasure because we're, we're here to enjoy life, you know, we're wired to enjoy it. And sometimes people you know, take up a spiritual path or even a prospering path and they lose touch with what has heart and meaning, they lose touch with their joy. And so this Vedic path says, no, 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 <laughs> live a balanced life, you know, enjoy it. And the last of the four goals is moksha or um, liberation in this lifetime or enlightenment, you know, finding um, the, the highest uh, freedom. So those are the four goals and they they really provide a comprehensive 
orientation to how to live a spiritually awake, aware, abundant, joyous, happy, and free life. So that's pretty good for a life manual, don't you think? (laughs) That is. I think it's a great prescription to it. Um, And, you know, I've heard so many times as I, you know, too, have been moving on my own spiritual path, uh, this whole concept of abundance being our birthright, uh, to begin to look at life through the eyes of abundance rather than lack. And, you know, not only has that been a challenge for me on my path, but I've also seen it with others. Uh, and I think sometimes looking through life, uh, through the eyes of lack just reminds me of living life through the lens of fear. And if we are looking through the lens of abundance and really believing, um, that we are here to, in, to, enjoy life, to have fun, that uh, we have access to everything, and we are worthy of abundance, that we're looking more through the lens of love. Yes, I I would agree with that. And, you know, one of the um, really helpful teachings that's contained in, in these four aims is that we come to see wealth in its proper position as connected to helping us fulfill our higher purpose and helping us, you know, learn to live in the highest way and to, you know, contribute to life. And um, so that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book is because I found that uh, over the years, you know, so many people who took up the spiritual life, um, they were dealing with, and and I did as well, and, you know, find I still bump into it, you know, that idea of um, separation. So, you know, like somehow the spiritual path was otherworldly. And yeah. then, you know, people would say, well, you know, I'm on this path of meditation and yoga and spiritually conscious living. And um, but I, you know, I'm really stressed with how to, you know, put my job into that, my family life. And um, so to see wealth, to see prosperity in the perspective of connected to your spiritual life, it it needs that um, component of knowing that um, wealth and abundance has to do with um, what is needed to express your higher purpose. It's it. In other words, it's not for its own sake. It's not that we're here to just have everything we want. Although we we could do that, you know, we we have that capacity. But you know, just a little bit of um, looking around will tell us that, you know, having everything we want um, does not bring lasting happiness. Right. And I was just going to say that, too. I mean, I remember reading that in your book where there can be people who have tons of abundance or if we look at look at it as in just money. Right. They do have everything, um, you know, all the physical stuff that one would think is what we're here to attain, you know, in this physical lifetime. But I have met many wealthy people um, financially who are not happy at all. You know, they have everything, but they say, gosh, I'm just not connected. I don't know why I'm here. I should be happy. I have this. I have that. I have money. I have, you know, 20 different homes. I can take vacation whenever I want. You know, I'm not short of money, but yet there is that emptiness if they are not, um, you know, fulfilling that dharma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the ideal is to see these four goals in, in balance and, um 
uh, Phil Goldberg, who who wrote the foreword to my book, came up with a beautiful metaphor for them. He said there, these four goals are like the four legs of a table. And, you know, so, you know, if if uh, if you're not attending, you know, to one of them or it's missing, um, then, then your life does not have that balance and, and stability. Yeah. And going back to, um, you know, the prosperity and wealth, you know, with the spiritual life, I'd, I'd like to hear you talk more about that, too, because I can give a personal example just even with our own production company. When we first made our three films and, you know, Mike and I, we had to remedy this ourselves as being these, you know, everyday people. We are on a spiritual path. We're providing a quote unquote product right into the world, but it's spirituality. And we had got some early feedback on on with some people actually angry with us that we were selling the DVD. They're saying, well, this is spiritual stuff. Like, why would you put, you know, a price on it? And why would you sell it? You need to just offer this for free. And I, f- I find, you know, being a healer myself and, you know, trying to figure out how do you make this a business and uh, incorporate money and have that energy exchange, but it's spiritual and, and helpful. It's, it's such a weird relationship when you bring the element of money into the spiritual path, which which is what you were just like talking about. And there's a part in your book too, where you raise that question of does prosperity enhance and support or destroy and destruct the spiritual life? So, you know, we ran into that too. Like, well, are we supposed to be giving all of this information out for free? It's like, okay, what about the compensation of our time? And we love this work and we feel like we are fulfilling our purpose, but just like everybody out there listening or watching our documentaries or um, listening to the products that we put out, we have bills to pay too. (laughs) And we have families to support. And, you know, it's like, we can do this and live in our purpose and, uh, let it all be for free, but then guess what we might have to do? Go back to these nine to five jobs to make sure that this is paid over here. And then our purpose or life work suffers because we get trapped in that, that relationship with Mm -hmm. the physicality of money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. That's so many people face that dilemma. And, um, so when we look at the you know, the, the teachings about whether material prosperity enhances and supports or distracts and destroys our spiritual lives. Um, I say the answer to that is it depends. Um, and it depends on, you know, how we approach wealth, what we do with it and, um, you know, really what the motive is. Um, so all along the way, you know, just like you did, um, in, in your, in your project and deciding what, how you were going to, um, you know, uh, accept, um, money in, in exchange for the products that you put out. I mean, all along the way, we have to question ourselves and I don't think it's bad to question, you know, I, it, it, it feels difficult sometimes, you know, there's a tug, but it's a good kind of question because it has us look deeply at our motives and, uh, and, you know, of course, where the, the challenge is, is, um, you know, if we're doing it, you know, quote unquote, to make money or, um, and if we're attached to that or whether, you know, we're, we're really, um, in our heart of hearts and um, doing what we can to provide a service and that that's really our, our motive. And, um, so, you know, doing spiritual work, doing the work that we do, and then looking at 
well, how do we deal with the energy of that? Um, and how do we do it in a fair way? How do we do it in a conscious way? And how do we keep our motives as clean as we possibly can? So those are all really good questions, I think. Yeah. And, and I think what you touched upon, too, is important uh, to hear and, you know, for people to also hear, too, that there is a difference with being on the spiritual path and going at it to want to make money versus just being of service and that reminds me of a quote that you have on page um, 17. I'm going to hopefully pronounce his name correctly again. Uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, you quoted him by saying, prosperity doesn't always mean having what you want, by ha- but having what is needed when it is needed. Mm-hmm. And I have found that to be true with all of our projects, you know, um, I don't think, well, I don't want to put a limit on it because if maybe Path 11 Productions wants to be in a a very abundant production company, it will be. But, you know, it's been, that's what I have found. You know, we're trying to be of service to the people. And whenever we have needed something for a project, we have somehow, someway been able to tap into exactly what that quote says. You know, something came when it needed to come or, you know, an opportunity all of a sudden presented itself. And then there was the money, there was the exchange. So I I really understand and get that concept of what you're saying about making sure that you are kind of staying in alignment with the purpose being of service when you are on that, that spiritual path for yourself. Yeah, and April, you've just beautifully described um, how how to um, cultivate arta or wealth, um, meaning that you're you're dedicating uh, what you do as a service for the higher good that has a um, you know spiritual purpose, a divine purpose, and then you open yourself to possibility and the way that. You know, the, the universe itself wants to support that work. That um, So, it, you know, people get really kind of narrowly focused on where's the money going to come from. Yeah. Um, and, and, of course, money is important. And, and, you know, I don't deny that. But I think that a lot of our work in terms of um, prosperity, in ter- you know, as it relates to living our higher purpose, is opening up our field of vision and possibility Um, Because very often, um, it's just as you describe, you know, a a person will come forward with the skills that are needed, you know, who's um, really interested in being part of that vision. And um, so there there are many, many ways that that life itself, the universe itself will come um, to be a part of a, a greater vision, you know, that you're inspired to bring forth. Yes. And I would say, you know, we experience both sides of that in the beginning, when you're starting a business, you have a little bit of that fear, like, ah, how are we going to fund these projects? Where's the money? Okay, let's try this, try that. And when we have tried things, probably more out of fear or looking to, you know, support or have some sort of paycheck, all, the, all that stuff has failed. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. when we just relaxed, we opened up, we said, we'll figure it out. You know, let's just get this stuff out there. Boom. All of a sudden, like you said, it was like these doors have opened and opportunities have been there. But it really took for us to relax and trust, really, I think are the, the two main things that I can think of that shifted for us to be able to experience what we're experiencing now. 
Yeah, there's such an interesting tension, isn't there? I mean, we we have to do everything that we know to do, and, uh, you know, in a practical way. We have to take the steps. We have to make the plan. Um, we have to um, do all the things that we believe are necessary um, to have our work succeed. But on the other hand, what generally is, um, you know, what has been my experience is that the the opening to prosperity usually comes through what I would identify as divine grace because it's been, it's not something on my list. It's like the, the <laughs> surprise factor that comes in that, you know, is, is usually so much bigger than the vision that I've had uh, in the beginning. Um, but this, you know, there's, um, and I do talk about this in the book too, there's this sort of mm, law in the universe where, you know, you, you of course can't cause grace, um, but it is this factor that's there that seems to come to meet your effort. And the yogis talk about that there's this wonderful combination of self-effort and divine grace. Yes. And I'd like to jump a little bit to my favorite chapter in your book, which is chapter 12, do what pleases your soul. Um, and um, I, I really wanted to hear more about that chapter and for you to talk more about that, because I have met so many people who have had a really hard time finding their life purpose. And I also loved this chapter because it just made me happy. Just even reading that, do what pleases your soul. Before I even went into the chapter, I said to myself, okay, what pleases my soul? And then like, I just naturally started smiling of thinking all the things that would just feel very pleasing to that, you know, mm -hmm. and having fun. There's an element of fun and, and joy and excitement when I read that. Mm. So can you talk about, you know, what that means to do what pleases your soul? Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad you liked that chapter. And um, actually, of course, the first word before do what pleases your soul is discipline. discipline. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and so um, I have found that, of course, one of the primary teachings on the path of Kriya Yoga and the, the way it's defined, the, and that's the very first teaching, the very first practice. Um, there are three practices, three overarching practices, but the very first one is self-discipline, you know, to lead a disciplined life. And I have, you know, found over the years that, you know, okay, well, I just start off with that. Okay, you know, here you are, you're looking for this um, spiritual life. And you want to follow your bliss. And the first teaching is, okay, you need to be disciplined. And then I find, you know, people just kind of wither <laughs> in, the, in, in, the, in the wind of that word discipline and how we have um, defined it for ourselves. And um, so then I thought, no, no, I have to somehow find a way to express what this means um, in the deepest way. And if we explore, you know, what that means in the heart of an enlightenment um, perspective, it means that, you know, we are, are encouraged to do that which is in harmony with the soul itself. Um, and I, I have express that as, you know, do what pleases your soul. <laughs> when I don't think the soul is either pleased or not pleased, but it's a good way to express it, sure. you know, in meaning that 
instead of thinking as discipline, I mean, as some way that you punish yourself, you know, um, what it's really about is, is doing, um, those things that, you know, um, bring the highest happiness. In other words, it is following your bliss. It is following the soul's joy and letting it express. And so, Instead of thinking of discipline as something outer that's imposed, um, think of it as something inner that's expressed. Because we all know, you know, we all have that um, God meter, you know, inside of us that um, that 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 brings an awareness of what does bring joy to us. You know, what is the highest thing for me to do in this moment? You know, it's like, um, you know, we could call it conscience as well, you know, that is always directing us, you know, so we have an example would be, you know, something comes up and, you know, there's a tendency maybe, you know, to not tell the truth in any, in a moment. Right. But you have this kind of twinge from within that, no, you know, you shouldn't go that direction. Um, you, you should speak the truth. But, you know, maybe we're um, shying away from that because we're afraid of speaking the truth. We're afraid of the power of it. You know, there's all kinds of reasons that come up. But the soul's impetus, um, what would please the soul is to speak the truth in that moment. So it's that discipline of following, you know, doing what you know is in harmony with your higher self in any given moment. Now, as people are listening to this, they might say, okay, but how do I begin to ask myself these questions? Or how do I really know? Would you say that one gateway would be through meditation, through yoga practices? Oh, totally, (laughs) totally. Um, And that's why I do spend a considerable amount of time in the book talking about meditation, because it's a way that we have to quiet um, the restless mind and, you know, the ego-based thoughts that um, are kind of, you know, scheming and and oftentimes working against us. And, uh, you know, because ego is coming from the wrong idea of who we are. And like you were saying early on, you know, tense, you didn't say that about the ego, but the distinction is whether you're based in fear or based in love. And so, you know, ego is, is based in fear. And so when we meditate, we have the opportunity to um, experience what we are, you know, beyond that. So we begin to um, have the skill, you know, to have more of an illuminated mind, illuminated mental field, um, so that we're able to see through those um, destructive thoughts or patterns that arise. And so you know, we're not the mind, we're not the ego, we're that light of spiritual consciousness that makes thinking possible, um, that makes the ego um, able to express, you know, so we're not any of that. And when we meditate, we can observe that for ourselves. We observe the mind, we observe the functions of the mind. So we know we're not what we're observing. 
So it begins to um, introduce us to ourself and then, um, as I say, to purify the mental field so that in those moments of, you know, should I tell the truth here or not, um, we have uh, more illumination in the mind so that we're able to make a choice. It's like that whole thing slows down and we're not just reacting, you know, from patterns in the mind. Did right. that make sense? Did that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that you're covering some of the stuff of my next question, which um, you know you talked about in the book about how there are these five core obstacles, um, you know, that that can kind of stunt this from happening, or or the obstacles that people need to um, recognize and move through in order to get connected. So maybe we could talk about those obstacles. Oh, yeah, the. Um... The core obstacle, I think that's probably the best place to start. You know, the core obstacle in um, that's taught in, in yoga is um, called avidya. And it means ignorance. Um, it means not uh, knowledge. Avidya, uh, ignorance. And um, when we hear the word ignorance, I think, you know, we think, well, you know, I'm ignorant of that. I, I don't know it, you know, I'm not aware of it. And it does mean that, but it means something really more profound. Um, this uh, avidya as an obstacle means that we, we don't know, but we think we do. In other words, we, we believe that we know who we are, but we're wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> it's sort of like the fundamental, this is called, you know, the fundamental error of perception is that we believe that we are the body and mind. And, and sometimes you can hear this in, in language where people say, you know, I have a soul. So um, we don't have a soul, you know, we are the soul. So that, that avidya is, is ignorance of the true self. Um, and so it's operating from there. And then that error um, gives rise, um, you know, to the others, to the, the sense of um, separate self, um, which then, um, you know, has to prop itself up because it's not true. That's the false self. And in order to prop itself up, it, it uses um, desires, you know, attractions and aversions and you know, the ego wants what it wants. <laughs> and and it's all about maintaining that identity as a separate self. And then the, you know, the uh, last obstacle connected to that is, uh, you know, the fear of, of death, really, um, because there's not a realization that we are immortal, uh, spiritual beings. Yeah, yeah, said so eloquently. Um, I think that this is really a, a wonderful, wonderful book. And I wanted to share a small little story, too, of synchronicity. I'm in the process of running a woman's wellness and series for nine weeks. And we're um, engaging in some West African shamanism uh, practices and honoring the element of mineral for 2019. And uh, there's one uh, woman in the group who is a mom of four, and she is definitely on this path of trying to figure out, you know, am I more than just a mom? I feel like there's something else in here. My children are growing and I, I really want to find my purpose. And as I was reading 
you know, your book, I'm thinking, gosh, this would be a great gift. I have to give this to her because this is exactly where this woman is right now. And in this um, mineral ceremony that we did last night, uh, you know, we place uh, rocks and minerals that have been on an altar and we go into a deep meditation to hear what mineral has to say to remind us of our gifts and our stories. So we had a woman lie, each woman would lay in the center and she chose rocks from our mineral altar. And then all the women would place their hands on her and we would go through this meditation with drumming and we would hear her story. Mm. And so each person got to share what they heard. And with this woman, I heard shine, let other bring your light to others. Mm -hmm. And then last night, as I'm finishing up the book, I'm on the chapter overcoming obstacles, page 167. And I'm already thinking I want to gift this woman this book. And right dead center in the, of, the, of this page on 167, it says, go ahead, shine. Mm, that's such and, a beautiful story. Yeah. And then there's the, you know, the quote by you, there is a way to turn without losing your balance, raise yourself by yourself at dawn, go ahead, shine in the morning sky. So, um, I just thought I would share that small story with you because I, I would think as an author too, you never really know how a book might touch someone or how something like this, so simple yet so profound, then lands your book in another person's hands who is on this path and needs to read your words. So I wanted to share that, that story with you. Thank you. That is such a, a beautiful um, gift. And I am receiving it with great um, joy and tenderness and vulnerability, <laughs> which, um, you know, I always feel when um, spirit is, in a sense, speaking or revealing itself, you know, these beautiful divine connections that are there. And we're so nurtured by that. So thank you very much for, for offering that in our conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I couldn't not tell you because it was just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, I couldn't believe it myself. And just even the timing of it, like these are the things that I love and just get me so excited about life as, you know, um, our podcasts are pre-recorded, but it just so happens, you know, I'm finishing up your book after this class last night and getting that message for her to shine. I know I'm going to give this to her and then I get to speak to you today, the day after. Like what are, <laughs> what are the chances of all of that, you know? I love that. That's what and, keeps me going every day. And that's really our wealth. That is it. You know, that is really what my book is about. And that's what I hope people receive from it is that transmission, that sense of, you know, we are alive in a spiritual universe. There's not <clears throat> the spiritual life and the material life. There is this one life in which the spirit is completely present and it is our life and it is operating as and through our life and our wealth is awareness of that and our greatest resources are those spiritual resources. Yes. And I know that you have um, events and courses on your website. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that before we end. And I am really excited to see that you are coming to New York, Rhinebeck. That is our backyard at the Omega Institute in May of 2019. Maybe this woman will actually, because we were talking um, on Tuesday, that she was saying, maybe I have to go and find a retreat. And I'm thinking, uh -huh. boom. 
boom, here we go. I'm going to give her your book. I'm going to say sign up in Rhinebeck and, and do this. But I see that you're going to be in California and Washington. So can you talk a little bit about the events and the courses that you offer? Um, people can also see them. If you guys are in front of your computer, you can go to ellengraceobrien.com and you can look along as she's uh, just talking about what she's going to be offering. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think that's the best place. I have to go there myself to see where I am going to be. (laughs) Um, Because throughout this whole uh, 2019, um, I'll be traveling throughout the U.S. and even internationally um, with the book. And um, so that's Ellen Grace O'Brien, and it's O'Brien with an A, O-B-R-I-A-N.com. And on my author's site, um, there is a listing for events that's kept updated. Um, But I will be in um, Washington State, Seattle in um, March. And then in um, April, I'll be at 1440 Multiversity offering a retreat um, there um, from the book. That's a beautiful place. It's kind of a combination between a spa and a retreat center. It's quite beautiful. And uh, and then, as you say, in May, I'll be in New York and offering a retreat at Omega and at the Assisi Institute up in Rochester. Um, and following that, I'll be headed for Miami and uh, we'll be at Universal Truth Center there in Miami. So, uh, And then sometime later, August, I think I'll be at um, Kripalu offering retreat. So thank you so much for asking about that. And probably one other thing to say is um, that I do have a a year-long course that's offered um, that you can find also on the website that's called ARTA 365. Um, That is a online course that you can engage in this um, curriculum if you want to just do a deep dive. And uh, so that's there too. So thank you so much for giving me a chance to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Ellen, thank you so much. This really was a beautiful conversation. I really uh, enjoyed this book coming into my life, and I know that I'm going to be sharing it. And it feels more than a book to me, a book to (laughs) just the book isn't a right word. It truly feels like a gift. Um, It's more than a book. That's all I can say. And I really do hope that our listeners, uh, you know, will, will go out to purchase it because we we just like touched upon very small things there. This is a book that I am like highlighting, going back to it's, it's a great reference. We didn't even get a chance to go into some of the 10 principles. Um, we could probably do three shows, uh, just kind of covering everything here, but thank you so much for being a guest on the path love and podcast. It was truly a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much, April. I feel blessed by our conversation and I'm, I'm grateful for this time with you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis 
this at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four day, four day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out-of-body experiences and life-changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon, become a Patreon today, and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today. Thank you.